You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. We like to shine a light on people doing interesting things in horticulture, ecology and landscaping. In this episode, we're looking at a fabulous program called Botany Boot Camp run by Meg Hurst and Georgia Warren at the Royal Botanic Gardens of Victoria. Each botany boot camp session takes participants on a journey throughout the gardens with the aim of mixing physical activity and botanic discovery using a hand lens, a map and a handout. In this episode, Karen Smith, who's my mentor and the editor for our sponsor Hort Journal Australia, interviews Meg and Georgia about overcoming plant blindness the importance of a public appreciation of plants, and how mixing exercise with plant appreciation is a match made in heaven. Follow the Plants Grow Here podcast and listen to the whole episode, because that's going to help the algorithm get this episode out to the most people possible. Well, hi, ladies. It's lovely to have uh, Dr. Meg Hurst back on the podcast, and I welcome Georgia Warren as well. So today we're going to be talking to you about botany boot camp so uh, ladies would you like to uh, just talk about how that began hi karen um i'll just uh, start with it georgia and i um got together at burnley campus uh i was um a casual sessional teacher at the time and georgia was uh, a student and it was on a Friday, late Friday afternoon, I think, where we were doing plant identification and the students were tired. And you had to learn. Oh, look, now, tell me if I'm right, Georgia, something like 30 plants a week. I don't know. It was some outrageous amount of plants. A lot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to learn the taxonomic names and then the habit and so forth. And this is Friday afternoon and everyone was a bit tired. So... I um, started running between the plant stops. So say there's 12 plant stops and there was this student next to me, Georgia, who started running with me and the two of us just got the giggles and we started running between these plant stops. Get our breath, look at the plant list and, oh, okay, this is a a taxodium and we, we would talk about it. And then other students were also kind of getting into this um, running between the stops. And that's how it first started. And I think Georgia needs to add on this next bit. Yeah, I think it was raining as well. So that really (laughs) definitely got us going. Um, Yeah. And then after that, we, um, I think I was demonstrating with you, Meg, as well. Mm. And we sort of had a, a chat over lunch one day and said, hey, do you think this actually might have legs, you know, excuse the pun, Um, (laughs) but, you know, running between um, the plants and, you know, it gets a bit of enthusiasm into the mix. And so we took it to um, Sally McPhee and Kara at the Royal Botanic Gardens and we said, hey, do you think you've got space for this in your program? And they were like, absolutely, let's do it. we're so grateful for their enthusiasm and that's kind of the rest is history um now Mm. we're running it at the botanic gardens and 
that happens, you know, probably three to six times a year, doesn't it, Meg? So, Georgia, yeah. you were a student and mm-hmm. Meg was obviously the the teacher. What kind of students were they? What were they studying? So we were studying, I think it was designing with plants. So it was a horticultural subject. I was studying landscape architecture at the time at Melbourne Uni um, and that was a subject that we needed to do to basically boost our botanical knowledge because obviously that's quite an important part of being a landscape architect. You need to know a little bit about plants. <laughs> just a um, little bit. <laughs> just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, and so that's that's how it began. It, it was just everyone learning about. There were students of different backgrounds. There were um students doing the uh, formerly known as the Master of Urban Horticulture. No, sorry, that's current, Master of Urban Horticulture. Um, sorry, what were it, were it, I think it there were a, accounting students too, wasn't it? Because it was a, it was a, a breadth sub- subject too. So, yeah. yeah, so you got people that were just interested in the subject itself. It may not actually be part yeah. of um, the, the, the actual core, core yeah, subjects that they were doing. They're yeah. plant enthusiasts. Absolutely. Yes. I think that's how you would describe <laughs> everyone in those classes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's really um, fantastic. So uh, part of the um, marketing of your botany boot camp is to um, overcome plant blindness. So would you like to talk about plant blindness and explain what that is? Yeah, so um, plant blindness is a term that was coined in about 1998 by a couple of um, American botanists, Elizabeth Schussler and James Wandersee. Um, and basically it's just an, the inability to see or notice the plants in one's own environment. Okay. And uh, why is it important, do you think, that we, that we uh, understand botany, the botany and the makeup of plants? Well, just taking on what George is saying about the inability to notice plants, what it, what that is, it just creates this disconnect um, between um, people and the environment that they're in. And I think um, being important in plant conservation, which we both um, have uh, very strong views, to really um, understand the plight of uh, our threatened species uh, you really need to understand and recognise plants and what is going on around us. So, Georgia, um, did you want to say some more on that? Yeah. Um, it, so just coming back to it being an inability to see or notice the plants in one environment or one's own environment, rather, um, it seems to come from the fact that plants are mostly green um, and I suppose as humans... Because plants are sessile, they don't they don't move as much as animals. It, from an evolutionary point of view, we don't really need to pay a lot of attention to them. Um, but as Meg was saying, from a conservation point of view, this has a lot of implications because they're actually really key to our health as humans. Plants um, they provide us food, medicine. Um, they benefit our health just being surrounded by them, whether we notice it or not so yeah I guess Megan and I are quite impassioned about 
um, making sure that people are noticing them. Meg, did you want to add some stuff? Yeah, just we we're talking about um, how plants are kind of we we rank them as inferior to animals in that sense, and um, just overall the reduction in people studying plant sciences and the less um, courses available in botany, for example. Um, this all it's just this um, all these different levels this that are happening at once where we're looking at how to um, get people interested in plant conservation but before you can do that you've got to really then address what the issues are and also how to actually recognize plants in, in themselves like what what do you actually look for and how can you um, in some ways um, really address what we're calling plant blindness because what the way Georgia and I are doing is really taking it from a plant conservation angle as well just sort of how you can really start getting more um, into what is happening in your own neighbourhood and with rare and threatened plants and design. Yeah, and it's not just about, um, as Meg was saying, it, it isn't really just about their economic benefit to us to, it, from a sort of deep ecology perspective, um, it's the idea that everything in the world has its intrinsic value. So plants and biodiversity regardless of the benefit that they have to us as humans, they have their own value and that's important that we do our best to conserve that because we've got that power. For sure. I mean, um, I'm sure a lot of people, we're probably, uh, you know, people such as ourselves that work in the industry, we're well aware of this. But people outside the industry, I mean, I, I go for an early morning walk each day and I'm a bit gobsmacked by what I see. For example, this morning I walked past a house that is a fairly old uh, heritage house in my area that has new owners and it had a beautiful landscaped garden at the front and now on top of this beautiful garden was just a big pile of rubbish. I couldn't believe it. You know, I couldn't believe that they don't see the value in, in what they already had, that the previous owners had probably laboured over for decades to create this absolutely beautiful garden. I, I, I mm. does my head in a little bit. And then, of course, you know, a lot of those houses are disappearing for the McMansions that go up and uh, every tree on the, on the block is removed and sometimes I think the developer doesn't care, it gets a small fine and, and that's it mm. from removing the trees, you know. So making um, what you're doing with your botany boot camp is, is particularly important because you're educating the broader community about that. And it's also not just looking at the aesthetics, but um, the design, um, and Georgia will talk more about this um, yep. anyway, just how design is um, fundamental in some of our sensory, the way we actually perceive things or the way we may want people to perceive things. Mm. Um, so, again, that whole like um, how you recognise plants, we'll start just looking at your salad and getting in there and just starting somewhere and that's kind of what we're doing is just saying, do you want to, we're just going to give you some tools to start uh, just to kind of look at leaves, look at flower shape. And then what Georgia will do is then really sort of run with 
these particular characteristics that we might be looking at. Um, and whether they're aesthetic or not, as George is saying, their intrinsic value may be quite removed from us in some ways, but they are so important in our ecosystem. But we, Georgia will then look at these particular traits or these features and how that may come into a design. So, you know, you look back to um, what you were just saying, Karen, about the rubbish on top of this, what was once a gorgeous design, Um and that's where it's kind of like we're just trying to empower people with understanding there's certain traits that can really help you with designing your garden and giving you um, an understanding of what to look for, say, when you're selecting plants in a nursery. Yes, exactly. Georgia? Yeah, for sure. I think um, as well as what's Meg's saying, um, just bringing the design knowledge into Botany Boot Camp as well Meg starts to crack, to to use an analogy, starts to crack open the egg of people's minds and get them to see things differently. And then what I come in sort of after Meg usually, um, I come in with ways that people might like to use the plant in their garden or um, ways that they can use different plants, not necessarily the one that we're looking at, but to address um, a concern or an opportunity in their garden and what it starts to do is get people to think about how plants can fit into their garden and how they might meet the needs that they're looking to meet in the garden. Um, so it's really just trying to, even if people walk away and they don't remember the specific plants we've talked about, it's starting to get them thinking about using plants in the garden and having them in their space. And as a landscape architect, do you find, let's talk about residential to begin with, yeah, yeah. do you find that people are, I mean, we see that the homes are bigger and the, and the property or the um, outdoor spaces are shrinking. Yeah. How does that affect you as a landscape architect and how do you um, aim to convince your clients the value of plants? Yeah, I think um, I'm fortunate in some senses because a lot of the times when people are coming to us, to the sustainable landscape company, they're already a little bit aware of the value that plants have got. Um, but, yes, sometimes we do get projects where the space can be quite challenging, um, but I suppose it is just a learning process and it's a teaching process of speaking to the client and explaining, um, hey, like this, this can help to screen the area. Like, for example, if we're using a deciduous plant on the northern aspect of a house because there's screening required, it's talking about how, yes, this will provide screening for you in summer when it's got its leaves on and shade, which is very important to keep it cool. Um, but in winter, you might actually prefer to have uh, less screening to let some light in and we can talk about how you get some privacy in different ways. So, yeah, it's, it's really just working with the space that you've got because often when people come to us, it's the architecture is already set or it's an existing house. Um, and just working with the client to get to a point where everybody's feeling happy and like the brief is being met. And do you find with the commercial designs, 
Um, I mean, I sh- I should imagine there's you know a certain amount of greenery, a ratio of greenery that has to be included in a design. Is that right? Yeah, I think when we're talking about public landscape, uh, the golden rule is the canopy cover, the tree canopy cover to mitigate the urban heat island effect. And usually what we talk about is 30 to 50%. Um, and that's really just to try and keep the heat down. It's You, you really want to get this interlinking canopy, which is providing amenity for people in, in the form of shade to sit under and a cool space, but it's also shading um, roads and hard surfaces and pavement so that it's not absorbing the heat. So in getting that canopy cover over the hard surfaces, you're trying to prevent the sun from heating the pavement in the first place. Uh, So as in the urban heat island effect, the issue is that the pavement is absorbing the heat and then it's re-emitting it. So if we can get enough tree canopy cover to actually stop it being absorbed in the first place, it keeps the whole environment cooler And that has massive implications for human health because heat is a very serious killer that not a lot of people know about, especially for the young and the old. Yes, yes. I I saw something um, on the television just the other night about that, actually. And, uh, you know, a lot of talk about Western Sydney uh, with the big houses, no trees, the roofs almost butt up to each other and they're all in a dark colour. And as long as I've worked in horticulture, you know, I constantly hear about, you know, the heat island effects and 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 why we have to have trees, but it doesn't seem to be represented when you see this continually, these new estates continually built this way. And I think, you know, how is this happening when we know that, that that's a problem? And and the show I saw the other night, they were showing, you know, children's playgrounds without trees on the top. Some of the equipment gets up to 90 degrees, you know, yeah. like and, and the things that small children could easily be burnt on if they sat on them, you know, or any of us for that matter. So yeah. it's quite yeah. interesting that we um, we continue to see this happening and, you know. That's why... Um you really need to kind of raise awareness um, to get people to look at their own backyards or their front yards or their courtyards, in my case, or, you know, um, community gardens, just getting people to see what's around them and um, see the benefits. Um, One thing Georgia and I do when we're walking around the gardens, I mean, it's obviously gobsmacking beautiful and we often uh, just because we go through um, different seasons but when Georgia's talking about the heat effect for example um, Georgia has this palette around her that she can draw on and look at the um, designs that go back to Guilfoyle and so forth and it's just incredible as a learning environment uh, to actually start talking about the role that shade plays or, um, for example, um, Georgia often will talk about the sensory garden and how we can interpret that and interpret our own needs from a sensory garden and, and, and mindfulness. So I think, you know, when we look at some of the buildings that are going up that we we personally might not have control of, um, maybe just having that awareness that 
we can do our own part, whether it's bringing plants inside, <laughs> into our, into our, like we all did in COVID. I mean, that was obviously a big thing, indoor plants just took off. Um, or just looking what's around you and how you can be involved in that. Exactly. And um, so getting back to your botany boot camp, um, and, you, you know, you talked about how it began and, you know, running from one uh, plant bed to another to try and, um, you know, cover all the things that you've got to learn that day. But there's also, um, you know, the fact that you have called it a boot camp and people are getting that bit of exercise is it's a bit of a a no-brainer as well because of the health benefits of that. And, and so what kind of feedback do you get from people about this? Uh, we've had really positive responses, really positive. But um, I know George is going to add on to this, but um, I think Georgia and I alone get a lot of positive <laughs> feelings just from the exercise alone because at the end the two of us are just buzzing. So, <laughs> so we get a lot out of it. Um, but um, the feedback has been fantastic and it's across all age levels. Uh, so we have addressed that, um, that we need to be very mindful that um, a 21-year-old may move differently than a 67-year-old. And so we've tried to accommodate these short, intense periods of exercise followed by a learning period. Yeah. Um, one way we've done that is uh, ultimately the course is now power walking between um, <laughs> stops. So, and we find that that sort of suits everyone and we get a real sort of Kath and Kel um, <laughs> swing in the hips, you know, kind of thing happening and we often people get involved in that and find it quite funny. Yeah. And, yeah, as Meg said, it is really about um, getting the enthusiasm and just getting people excited um, and, you know, spending time in nature is calming and it just makes you feel better. It's just great for your well-being. So, you're getting the exercise, you're being exposed to the being in a sweaty old gym. That's right. Yeah. We go through um, South Africa, New Caledonia, (laughs) we go across, I mean, we we travel. And as Georgia says, without the jet lag. Yeah. And that's also (laughs) a great way of promoting the fabulous work that are done by botanic gardens because, you know, I know in my, I'm in Sydney and, and, you know, Often I talk to different people and say, oh, you know, have you been into the calyx uh, lately to see the new changes of the plants in there? And they say, what's the calyx? And I say, it's in the botanic gardens. Oh, where's the botanic gardens? I'm like, the Royal Botanic Gardens in Sydney. It's right on Sydney Harbour. You know, how can you miss it? And uh, But it amazes, amazes me that, you know, there are still people that are really quite unaware. So I think what you're doing with the with the boot camp you know you're you're educating people about plants but also about you know that further um work that's being done in the gardens of course we we do hear that from participants a lot that at the end of the walk they say oh you've shown us places in the gardens that we never knew existed um and that's really nice as well to be able to show people around the gardens themselves and show the conservation efforts that um, RBG does get involved in and also key people into that side of things. And Meg and I like to emphasise that, yes, you know, we've got this responsibility to 
uh, conserve plants, especially the rare and threatened ones. Meg, did you want to talk a bit about that? Some of the um, plants that we stop at um, will go through, first of all, their taxonomic names and where they're from. But if they are um, listed, so if they are federally or state listed as vulnerable or endangered, or um, Georgia and I will also talk about um, particular regions or areas that are a concern um, and have a focus then on um, some conservation outcomes that the gardens might be involved in, whether that be through genetic work or through the Victorian Conservation Seed Bank, so collecting rare and threatened seed. And um, through that, we can also just look at the curate the, the collections themselves and how um, the horticulturalists have curated them and looking at maintenance and then of course uh, Georgia and I have been lucky enough to spend time with Andrew Laidlaw and talk to him about his um, designs and so getting his understanding of what he was trying to um, express and then how he expressed that I think Georgia um, particularly with just that whole conversation with Andy about just design has been um great for us to also just really start connecting with people at the gardens who are also supporting Botany Boot Camp. They love seeing it. We tell them the lists of the, so for example, with the horticulturalists, we'll, we'll give out the lists of where, where we're going or what plants we might be doing. And they can give feedback if they want, or if they think there's a particular, you know, um, species that they really want to talk about, or they think we should talk about. Um, you know, they can contact us and we can go and have a look at it and then maybe pop it on the list and uh, add it to our plant list for that particular tour. So it's very collaborative in that yes. sense. Yes, and, and I really love the fact that you're combining uh, landscape architecture and botany because there is a, a quite a disconnection between different sectors within the industry. So you're bringing both of those um, fields into play which is also educating people about career, a possible career in horticulture, botany, landscape architecture, yeah. um, because there is a bit of a perception out there that, uh, you know, horticulture's for the not-so-bright sparks, you know, like, um, oh, anyone can garden, you know, that type of attitude, and yet there is this serious science behind it that is hugely interesting and you know people would look at you and what you're doing and thinking oh where do I get a job like this you know not saying that that's what you do every day but if you can include a day like that once a fortnight once a month in your job what's not to love about that absolutely Karen it's um I didn't know that landscape architecture was even a profession until I was in my late teens um so I think having participants there who we can talk to about you know what I do what Meg does horticulture generally as you say that's fantastic because um I think we need more people in these industries um mm. and it's just you know I love my job I want to I want to tell people about it so that they can get into it sooner definitely and we and we are finding we we have had students coming along from Latrobe and Deakin. Um, they often 
stay afterwards and chat to us. Um, so um, students are fabulous, uh, and they 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 love that we also have a we really do have a laugh while we're we're going through it. So it is a fun experience. It's um, boot camp can sometimes you think about it being um, incredibly serious, but for us, boot camp is just this intense time in a sense of concentration with exercise, but really um, with lots of fun and lots of jokes. So we just try to keep it lighthearted because it is on a Saturday. We're not going to start making sure there's um, pop quizzes at the end or anything like that. You know, we're keeping it all all pretty friendly. And it's a social thing as well. So not only is Botany Boot Camp addressing plant blindness and getting people out into nature and exercising, it is a social element. It has this social element of people coming together on their Saturday, meeting others, um, and then going for coffee afterwards. Yeah. You know, we get a lot of people who come with friends or, or partners and then they go out for lunch or coffee afterwards and it's just nice to be part of their day. Yeah. <laughs> so would you like to see this happen at Botanic Gardens across the country? Oh, yes. For sure, for sure. Yeah. We think it could be on a on a range of scales. Um, yeah, I don't and think we're going to be able to run them all, Meg. But <laughs> no, but it, look, it, I think what we've found though, just that as uh, Georgia was saying, that social element, um, it really is fabulous because you're all the participants. They get um, a hand lens, so they can look up close at. Um, the different um, plants we're looking at. So they might look, they might be looking at, you know, um, some female parts or male parts of a flower, for example, or some really intricate hairs. But um, because you're doing it in a group, you're looking at these things and you're sort of saying, oh, I see it, I see it, or the person next to you has, oh, I don't. And so everyone's helping everybody. So it's this real journey together. And um, I think what we've found is that it is a it's feel good botany. Maybe I don't know if you can call that, but botany boot camp is yeah, it's a it's a feel good um, activity where at the end of the day, as Georgia said, you may not remember all the plants that we spoke about. I mean, you do get a list and a map and so forth, so you can refer to them down the track, but that doesn't matter. It's it's just a really gentle introduction to basic botany. And then t taking these big concepts that Georgia talks about, because they're big, they're big concepts, yeah, and really just making it um, approachable in a sense that you can yeah. get, you can, and I mean, Georgia's always getting swarmed by people asking about particular plants in her garden, in their garden, or or, or what would be a good um, plant selection. And that alone is is evidence enough that, you know, there's people there that just, they really just want to talk plants or they want to be able to identify certain features that they might want to put in a garden that they're designing themselves. So um, that part's really good, yeah. I think another thing about having it expand as well is that what's really nice about running it with people in Melbourne is that we get to talk about plants from you know exotic plants but also natives that are local to the area so if it's expanded to another garden um you know interstate where you are Karen um you know whoever's running it can talk about plants that are indigenous to Sydney um or you know, even internationally, and that's really important as well for people to understand what 
grows around them. I I had this um, memory that my son, when my son was in primary school, I think it was grade three, his primary teacher, um, Mr. McRae, would take all the students out onto the oval and run them around before class started. And I always remembered that he did that. Of all the other teachers at the school, he, he really incorporated this exercise and sort of ran all the kids and, and then took classes. And I think that element that we're bringing into Botany Boot Camp, that's the bit that can't be lost because we could do a gentle sit down on the lawn and talk about plants and with hand lenses, but it's the combination of the exercise and moving around the garden at different points that I think it's really optimising that mindset and, you know, and what we're saying is, you know, that really improves, you know, your motivation and your attention and so forth. But what we've also found is just through that exercise, it does make the group come together. And um, so then you're learning as a group as opposed to these individuals looking at an individual plant through their own hand lenses. Um, we're just, we're, it really does become group participation. And I think it's through the exercise that makes that sort of happen quite quickly because we start from the get-go. We're starting with exercise on um, uh, leaf arrangements. So we've got everyone out with their hands out doing opposite and alternate leaf arrangement. So um, we've got like, it's quite physical in that sense. I think as well, having that spatial element helps people to remember things because, you know, you've got a kind of spatial reference to what you're doing at a certain place in the garden. So that's a nice part of it as well from an educational perspective. Oh, look, I just, um, I think the whole concept is good on so many levels, so many levels. <laughs> Really, I take my hat off to both of you because you've really come up with this concept. And it's a feel-good thing as well, what you're doing for the community and um, and getting people out of their homes. And especially after the last two years with people being locked up a little bit, you know, and, um, and, and it's then forcing them to realise how good they feel after being outdoors, you know. We have to acknowledge, Karen, though, there is um, behind-the-scenes preparation that um, we really couldn't do without, and that's with Lily and Cara and Mark. Um, there's a whole team in the programs that have really helped us deliver what ends up being quite a smooth program on the day, but there's a lot of preparation beforehand and um, with the visitor centre and the visitor centre staff and it's um, yeah, it's a real team effort. Um, so that's also important to just acknowledge how much work goes behind the scenes of, of any program that runs, yeah. by the way, just how many people are actually there, you know, just keeping everything kind of together. Yeah. Yeah, and all of the marketing and promotional material mm. as well because, you know, the word wouldn't get out without them doing all of that great work. Yeah. Well, let's hope that uh, some of the other gardens uh, listening to this or have uh, read the article, which was in the December issue 2021 of Hort Journal, um, and hope that that inspires them uh, to follow in your team's footsteps. So is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish for the day, finish the uh, 
podcast. Anything else you'd like to add, Georgia? Just having a look at my notes. <laughs> or is there something that you, a message that's completely unrelated to Botany Boot Camp that you, a message you'd like to get out to the broader community? I think it's just about getting people enthusiastic. And if we get someone interested in plants enough that they want to tell one or two other people, then job done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree 100%. What about you, Meg? Anything you want to add? Oh, look, I, I just support what George has said and plants are incredibly charismatic, not just not just animals. Plants are too. Yes, <laughs> yes. and then there's those beautiful trees as well that you can just wrap your arms right around them and give them a big hug on your boot camp. So that's always a lovely <laughs> thing to do Yes, well. we do do that. <laughs> Well, thanks very much, ladies. That was really fantastic. And uh, I look forward to uh, hearing more about your boot camp. Yeah, if you just check the gardens website, uh, we'll be running in late March, April and May, and also again in um, spring. So just check the uh, Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria website for updates. Fabulous. Thanks for having us, Karen. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. If you can't make it to one of the official botany boot camps, grab a few friends and head to your local botanic gardens anyway. Walk at your own pace between garden beds and Google the plant names as you see them tagged. Afterwards you can reward yourself with a coffee and lunch in the shade. Check the show notes for the botany boot camp article written in the Hort Journal and subscribe to the magazine as well because it's full of topics we haven't covered on this podcast yet. <laughs>